All right. Amen. Well, you know, I need to say a little something. Speaking of joy, I went hiking for the second time in my life. Amen. 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 I learned something also. This time I went with some experienced hikers. I mean, the type that pick stuff off the branches and eat it. I thought, yeah, I won't be doing that this time. But, but anyway, we walked up a really steep area to a cliff, and I did not look back one time. So if you want to go up, don't look back. Amen. That's what I learned. Amen. So let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much today. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. We pray that our hearts will be pliable. We pray that we'll receive this word, God, and walk out with greater joy to be a blessing to others. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father. Thank you. Um, I am glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. Why don't we just start by turning to somebody next to you and saying, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Good? Everybody get that? Everybody get a glad you're here? Shauna, could you, could you greet this young man right in front of us? Just tell him you're glad he's here. There you go. All right. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, they're glad I'm here. Yeah. Today, we're, we're jumping into a series about joy. And this is a series that I think is not only going to be one that all of us enjoy hearing about, but I believe that this series is going to very seriously and, and, and dramatically impact the lives of many of you today, because there is a principle that is embedded in the scripture from beginning to end about enjoying who God is and enjoying uh, our lives in God and in Christ. And I think a lot of Christians miss out on this very deep, penetra- uh, penetrating truth. How many of you can say with just absolute certainty and confidence, the joy of the Lord is my strength? Can you say that? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Some of you, some of you may say, yes, okay, joy, but what about suffering? And what about heartbreak? And what about grief? And what about trials? And what about difficulties? And I say, yes, 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 and yes. Those are all parts of the experience of being a Christian. And yet the scripture teaches us that we can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our grief and in the midst of our heartbreak and in the midst of our disappointment and frustration. We can have God's joy deep in the midst of all of that. Let me ask you another question. How many of you would would say to me today, you know, Brent, the problem with my life is that I'm experiencing just a little too much joy. It's just, I'm just having a little too much joy. I'd like to turn the volume on my joy down just a little bit, right? Anyone volunteering for that? Um, I've never had anyone say that to me. I've had a lot of people say, I'm not experiencing joy in my life. I'm struggling to get through an issue at work or with my family or in a relationship, but I've never had anyone say, gosh, the joy is just overwhelming. Let me ask you another question. I'm just going to be asking. This is going to be totally interactive today. Is that cool? Um, when is the last time, and, and you all have different answers for this, so, you, you know, uh, when is the last time that you can say with certainty that you experienced a deep sense 
of joy in your life? Now, the, now the answer is going to be different for each and every one of you. Some of you are going to say, I'm feeling it right now. I'm having, I'm, I'm, I'm having joy right now, and I have joy pretty much every day. Others of you are going to say, you know, I experience joy. There's no question, but I wouldn't say that it characterizes my everyday life, okay? And still others of you are going to say, you know, right now, as you're thinking about this in your own mind, are thinking, you know, actually, I cannot put my finger on the last time I, I experienced what I would call deep joy. You know, because it's been so long. Like, I have some vague, reminiscent memory of joy, but it's just, man, it, it, man, I can't really tell you the last time and place. And, and I remember um, when that question was, was posed to me uh, very poignantly, and it was many years ago, back in 2003, I was living in Los Angeles, uh, and I was, I was experiencing some degree of career success, but... I was having zero fulfillment in my life. There was not peace. There was not comfort. There was not joy. There was just not, that part of my life just was sort of dead and gray and dull and blunted, okay? And I remember walking into a bookstore in Glendale, California, and there was a book, and the title caught my attention on the shelf. It wasn't, it's not a Christian book. It's just a secular book. And the the title of the book is The Half-Empty Heart. And I remember seeing that book on the shelf and going, that title actually speaks to me because my heart feels like, you know, half empty at, li- at least. Um, and I picked up, picked up the book, started thumbing through it, bought the book, took it home, and started reading it. And one of the, one of the passages in the book struck, uh, st- stuck out to me, and I'm going to read it to you. It's by a guy named Alan Downs, and he writes this. He says, as a psychologist, I have learned that the one thing that always leads people into the dark territory of psychological anguish is the absence, he says, of joy. Everyone craves joy, and the farther you move away from it, the harder it becomes to keep on living, he says. Anxiety, depression, obsessive thinking, and self-destruction, they are all states of joylessness. And then Downs, in this book, on page 194 of this book, turns the question to the reader. And he says, when is the last time and place that you remember feeling a strong sense of joy? And I remember reading that and putting the book down and going, let's see, well, it wasn't this year, um, wasn't last year. And I started going back and, and, and re- realizing it had been years and years, more than a decade, that I could just pinpoint and say, yeah, that, that I was experiencing joy right there. And, and so that question triggered a, a search for me and, and, and helped me to start thinking about deeply who I am again, who God is again, you know, analyzing the circumstances of my life and trying to, 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 to rediscover joy. And in that period of my life, and I've described this to, to many of you, during that next you know, two years, God began to work in my life in a very providential way and by his grace opened my heart to become a believer. And I experienced a greater sense of joy and peace and comfort and love than I had experienced in, in over a decade. And, and so I firmly believe, as we dig into this series, I firmly believe that one of the 
fruits, one of the attributes that Christ has for each and every one of his believers is a genuine, deep, abiding, comforting sense of joy. I believe he's planted that in your heart and he's calling each and every one of us to develop it, strengthen it, and, uh, and grow it in our hearts. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Um, if you don't think, and I'm, you know, if you don't think that God wants you to have joy, I'm just going to give you at the beginning of this series uh, a quick little, you know, 20 second survey of the Bible because you can literally open almost any book of the Bible and find a discussion about joy and rejoicing and joyousness and, 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 and living in cheer and the joy of the Lord and all this. The first one I'm going to quote you is from um, is when Jesus was sitting down with his disciples. It was at the end of his life. He, was, he sat down, he started talking to them about what he was getting ready to experience. He was talking to them about the persecution they were going to experience. He was talking to them about how they should love one another. And, and he ends this very, very long speech with this passage, John 15, verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Why? So that my joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you all the stuff that I'm telling you because I want you to experience my joy and not just a little bit of it. I want it to be full and complete and, per- and, and perfect. I want it to be overflowing and abundant. Um, and then I- I'll give you a quick survey. I'm not going to put these up on the screen. But literally, like, you can randomly throw open your Bible and you're going to find a passage about joy. First Peter says, we've not seen him. Though we've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, he says, and glorious joy. Romans says, may the God of hope fill you with joy. Proverbs says, a joyful heart is good medicine. Proverbs 10 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. Psalms 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I can go on and on and on. There are hundreds and hundreds. There are over 200 times where the Bible says rejoice. 200 times. Rejoice. God wants us to be filled with joy. And what happens, now here's where I want to be really careful, especially as we're starting this off. What happens sometimes in churches is that we mistake joy for happiness. And we think that when we show up at church, we need to just put on a happy face, cover the pain, cover the sorrow, cover the struggle, subdue it, and just kind of act like we're feeling good, like kind of a Pollyanna happiness. And that's not what God is talking about. Have you ever seen somebody when it's like you, you, they're smiling at you and they're looking happy, but underneath the surface you go, that doesn't seem real, actually. That, like, that seems sort of put on, right? They're not really experiencing joy. In fact, there's been research in California, this um, professor at um, uh, University of California, Dr. Paul Erkman, has done a study on, on whether or not we can determine whether somebody is genuinely smiling at us or if they're faking it. And he's done this huge study, and I actually went online and did the study myself. It was, I got 15 out of 20 right, so I'm pretty good. So don't try to fake me out if you try to smile at me. Um, but, but he's got this, and, and basically it comes down to this. He says the, the real smile, when somebody's really smiling out of a genuine you know, sense of, of, of joy— is it's in their eyes. It's not in their mouth, right? The mouth can fake it, but the eyes, the eyes can't fake it. I mean, sometimes you can, but, but like if you see somebody with this expression, they're just like, that's not real, okay? Um, 
So I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, we're going to go through just for fun, just to get a little, just to kind of get in the flow. We're going to go through some pictures of some people. And I want you to help me determine what do you think if this person is real smiling or not? Okay, let's start with Nick Cage. Is that real? I'm not buying that one, man. I just, the orbiculous oculi or whatever those muscles are around the eyes. They're not doing it for me. I'm not buying it, Nick. Um, let's try Let's try Britney. Let's try Britney Spears. Let's see where that too, too much teeth. There's just too much teeth. I don't, I'm not believing it. Uh, who, who do we got next there, Don? Oh, Nikki. Come on, Nikki. Give us a smile. You know what? Her mouth says yes. Her eyes say no. It looks like maybe she's seeing Mariah Carey across the room and she's like, I know I got a smile for this picture, but I'm not happy about it. Joaquin Phoenix, does he have a smile? He's just like, no, you know what? Get out of my face with all the smiling. And so we're looking for like a real genuine smile. I I know who can help us, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger can help us with a real smile. Come on, Arnie. No, that's not real, Arnie. And And then I'll just give you one more. This is my favorite one. You know where sometimes you, you, you know, you put on a fake smile, but then, you know, you just get tired. You just can't keep it going. And so you just kind of let it go. This is like my favorite of all time. Kanye West, he's smiling and he's like, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, whatever. Get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Now shut up. Uh, all right. he's just, he just couldn't do it. It's like, man, I'm over it. <laughs> so. Okay, you could. T- okay, good. <laughs> I could just see Kanye doing that for the rest of the sermon. Um, <laughs> so the answer is not fake it till you make it. That's not the answer, because if you bury your frustration, you bury your anger, you bury your disappointment, you're going to increase the despair because you're not being candid and transparent and honest, and so you can't ever deal with the underlying problems. Right? That's not what God is calling us to do. He's not calling us to pretend to be happy. Because we're not actually talking about happiness at all. And so I want to distinguish a little here between happiness and joy. I'm giving you a lot of intro stuff because this series is going to go on for like four weeks. And I got a ton of material. I may actually have to cut this one short uh, today because it's too too much. Um, Happiness is a transient emotional state. Joy is a persistent spiritual condition. Happiness is temporary, right? Happiness happens when something outside of you makes you feel happy, right? But then when something outside of you makes you feel sad, the happiness goes away. I can, the happiness is easy. I can make my kids happy like this. I can say this. Hey, kids, we're going to Froyo this afternoon. That's it. That's all they need. They're going to be happy because they know at Froyo, they get some Reese's Pieces, they get some gummy worms, they get some sprinkles, and they're good to go. So suddenly they're happy, right? But that can change on a dime if they come walking out of Froyo and one of them bumps the other and they drop that ice cream onto the ground. Now that happiness is gone, right? Because it's very temporary. It's very fluid. It's very transient. It pops up and it blows away like the wind, right? In fact, happiness is completely contingent upon external circumstances. And you can map out happiness. You can map it out. You can map out emotions very easily. And, and here's how we do it. It's very simple. This, this, is, this, is what we're, this, is, this is happiness, right? There's an external circumstance, some sort of external stimuli or stimuli, uh, stimulus. And then there's a thought. And then there's an emotion. 
right? So with the kid thing, you know, I say, kids, we're going to go get ice cream. That's the stimulus. The thought is, I like ice cream. The emotion is, I'm happy, right? Another stimulus, I drop the ice cream. Thought, I don't have my ice cream now. Emotion, I'm mad, right? We see this all the time. You hear a song, hear a sad song, right? That's the outside stimulus. Thought, you miss somebody that you, know, you know, that you knew way in the past. Emotion, you're sad, right? Policeman pulls you over, writes you a ticket. That's the circumstance. Thought, you know, who knows what you're thinking right then. Think a lot of things. You're thinking, that's expensive. Emotion, I'm mad, right? My wife then would say, thought number two is, ah, but my husband's a lawyer. He can fix the ticket. Now I'm happy. And then she has a third thought. Oh, snap. Now he's, uh, you know, not a lawyer. He's a pastor. He cannot fix the ticket. Now I'm mad again. And what, what, what really gets messed up is when the middle piece gets twisted, right? Stimulus, circumstance. Somebody looks at you in a way that you're not quite sure about. Thought. That person doesn't like me. Maybe I'm unlikable. Maybe I'm not a good person, right? Because your, your thought gets distorted. Your thought gets twisted. Emotion, I'm depressed, right? So you cannot rely upon this stimulus thought emotion paradigm to bring you joy because that's not what joy is. Joy isn't this because all of this is transient. It, it, it can change like that. If you, if you don't believe me, you know, this afternoon, go home, put on your favorite slippers, put on Pharrell's, you know, happy song, put on your robe, eat some chocolate, get yourself into a state of sheer happiness, turn on the stove, put your hand on the burner, right? The emotion will flee very quickly. The happiness disappears because happiness is not joy. Okay, so that's happiness. Joy. Let's talk about joy. Are you with me so far? Okay. Um, Joy is an internal and persistent spiritual condition, meaning that it's not just an emotion. It's, It's not something that, you know, is triggered by an outside circumstance. In fact, it stays with you despite the outside circumstance. The Bible talks about joy in the midst of triumph and in the midst of tragedy. In the midst of of, of triumph and the midst of trial, we get to experience joy because joy is not a a fleeting emotion. It's a permanent state. So I want to make that really clear from the beginning because otherwise you're going to think that this whole series is about me telling you to be happy And I'm not telling you to be happy. Bobby McFerrin is telling you to be happy. I'm telling you that you can experience the joy of the Lord in your life. Um, And and the reason that we experience it is because the joy of the Lord is planted in the heart of every single believer. All right? What do I mean by that? In Galatians, Paul says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And so when you become a believer and the Spirit enters into your life, joy is peace, long-suffering, temperance. These are planted into your heart. These are, these are the fruit of what you're experiencing, which is the Spirit, okay? But that, that fruit doesn't necessarily just grow on its own because right after Paul says that this is the fruit of the Spirit, he says, now let's walk in the Spirit so that we can stay in step with the Spirit. You follow me? So you've got this joy planted deep down in your heart 
because that's what God put in your heart when he made you a believer, right? But if you want to experience it, if you want it to blossom, if you want it to grow, if you want it to be expressed in your life, then you have to nurture it and, and, and cultivate it and strengthen it and exercise it and grow it and develop it. You've got to build it up. You following me so far? Come on. Um, I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is a picture of Otto and Ewald. Okay. Otto and Ewald. Um, I hope this isn't too, uh, you know, um, too shocking for your sensibilities, these guys. Uh, Otto and Ewald are these German guys that are identical twins. They have the exact same genotype, which means they share all the same chromosomes, all the same DNA, all of the same proteins, all the same enzymes, all the same stuff inside of their bodies. They've got all the same stuff, right? But Otto has decided to spend some time down at the gym, clearly. I'm sorry, Ewald. I think that's Ewald. (laughs) Sorry, I hate to get these. Sorry, guys. I hate to get you messed up. But I think that's Ewald over there. Otto appears to enjoy a nice game of chess and a cup of tea. And so even though they have the same stuff on the inside, one of them is developing it and cultivating it and growing it and nourishing it, nourishing it and building it up, and the other is not. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, you can take off Otto and Ewald. Thanks, Don. Um, sorry, you know, that'll burn into your conscience for the rest of the day. What, what's happening is even though they have the same internal stuff, one is developing it and one is not. And that's really what I want to talk about for this series is that God wants you and I to develop this gift, this fruit that he's placed in our heart of joy to strengthen it and develop it so that we can experience it and express it. Um, so h- how do we do that? H- how, do we, how do we start to express and experience this joy? Um, he, I'm going to go through for the next, we're going we're gonna to sort of focus on for the next few weeks, the book of Philippians. Because Philippians, remember when we talked about Paul the other day, uh, Paul was writing a letter to uh, the first European church that he planted over in Philippi. And, um, and he's writing this, and he writes this letter. It's a very short letter. I would encourage you today to go home and read it. It's about three pages long, and it's a letter to the church in Philippi. And it is packed, packed with references to joy and rejoicing. And he's really trying to get the, the, the Philippian church to learn how to develop joy in their heart. And so he gives them, through the letter, a lot of um, helpful um, ideas and, and, and directives about how to experience joy in their life. So we're going to go through some of those first. And the first one that he gives is this. Emphasize the important and ignore the irrelevant. So if you want to experience greater sense of joy in your life, you need to emphasize the important and ignore the irrelevant. I don't know if, if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes it's easy to become obsessed with the random, unimportant, irrelevant details in your life. Does anybody do that besides me? Um, preachers are, a- are actually the worst at this. Um, I, I called a, a buddy, a preacher friend of mine, a pastor, um, like about a year ago. And I was talking to him, and it was on a Monday. So that was my first mistake. I shouldn't have called him on a Monday because pastors are, you know, depressed on Mondays because they think that the service didn't go so well. They're preaching tanked or whatever. Um, they call it the Mount Carmel meltdown. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but we'll explain that later. But, but so I called this pastor friend of mine, and I go, hey, man, how did it go on Sunday? 
And he was like, man, it just, ah, I'm so aggravated. I'm so frustrated. It did not go well. And I go, really? What, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, the, um, the person that was making the announcements for the baptisms, like, really just didn't, the timing wasn't right, and they talked too long, and it was just all messed up. And I go, the baptisms? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, you guys, you, ba- you had some baptisms on Sunday? He goes, yeah, we baptized 10 people. And I go, dude, I wouldn't be worrying about the guy who made the announcements. You guys just baptized 10 people into the family of God on Sunday, right? But you, you can get sidelined and stuck on the irrelevant, immaterial details and forget to focus on what's really important, right? And then I said, hey, man, you should see how our, you know, our pre-sermon video didn't work last Sunday. No, I, I didn't say that. I just said, man, you know, we we've got to remember to fo- like he was experiencing joylessness even though god had used him and the church uh and had brought people to christ that day and people were saved and were starting a new life and they're coming out of the waters of baptism going man i'm so excited this is fantastic i'm so happy and he's saying man the announcement guy who just didn't do a very good job um what i love about paul and philippians is He's bound, he's chained, he's in Rome, he's waiting potentially execution. There are a lot of reasons that he could get unhappy and upset about this. But look what he writes in, in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. And he's writing about some, some, some guys that had been out preaching and some, uh, it's, it's a, uh, some other guys that had, didn't have good motives in their preaching. And he said, it's true, he says, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others, he says, out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach out of selfish ambition. These guys are not doing it for the right reason. Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. Chains. So he announces this. And then he says, but what does it matter? So what? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes. And I continue to rejoice. You see what he's saying? He's saying that the joy arises out of me ignoring the irrelevant and focusing on what's important. I don't care. He's saying, I don't care if people are, God can sort out their motives. God can sort out the issues that's going on in their life. I'm going to rejoice. And then he repeats it. Yes, I'm going to um, rejoice, right? Because I'm focusing on what's happening that's important. Christ is being preached. Let me ask you this. What trivialities in your own life are sapping the joy that God has placed in your heart? What, what are the, the, the crummy little details of your life, the, the trivia, right, that's not important, that's sapping the joy that you could be experiencing in God? Just think, you know, if, if I, I'll, jog your, I'll jog your thought process, right? Somebody didn't like your Facebook post, right? Man, why didn't he like my Facebook post, right? Somebody didn't return your text right, right when you thought they should have. Somebody didn't invite you to the party, right? This, this can sap your joy and make you miss out on, like, what's absolutely vital and important. You can spend... A lot of time gazing into the screen of a computer instead of gazing into the eyes of your spouse. And that might decrease your joy a little bit. I'm getting some amens now. (laughs) Um, 
you know, you, you may spend too much time on your phone and not enough time with your kids. And your joy is being diminished as a result of the daggers of a thousand different distractions that are keeping you from experiencing what God really has for you and what's really important, right? Ignoring the irrelevant. Um, the, next, the next principle that, that Paul talks to us about and that we're going to discuss is adopting an eternal perspective. Adopting an eternal perspective. This increases your joy. Um, a few weeks ago, my family, we went on vacation down to Florida. And many of you know we have three boys. And uh, according to Google Maps, the drive from here to Tampa, Florida is 14 hours and 40 minutes. Right? That's what it says. Unless you want to take this weird roundabout way, which I can't imagine why you would want to, to increase it to 15 hours and 38 minutes. We just took the regular route. But what, what Google Maps didn't factor in is, you know, three boys under six, one under two months. That increases your drive time. Now you're looking at 18, 19, maybe 20 hours, okay? Now, if we had just focused on what we were experiencing, let's say, bes- between uh, Atlanta and, and Jackson, right? I guess that's Jackson right there. That's Tennessee, right there between Tennessee and Atlanta. If we had focused on that, then we could say, man, we're not having a great time right now because milk is being, being spilled, babies are crying, there are accidents happening, little meltdowns here and there. Things can get a little bit rough. Anybody traveled with kids before? Right? So if you, fo- <laughs> if you focus on the segment of time, that 15 minutes when the baby is pooping his pants and screaming and hollering and whooping and the other boys now are getting upset. If you focus on that time, you're not going to be experiencing joy. But if you look at the longer stretch and you say, you know what, at the end of this trip, I'm going to squish my toes into the white sands of the Tampa Bay, right? I'm going to feel the lap of the waves against my shoulders and I'm going to feel the sun on my face. If you're looking at a, a broader perspective, you may experience a little greater sense of joy. You see what I'm saying? And Paul is saying, I'm not going to focus on what's here now. I'm going to look at the broad perspective. Listen to what he says in, in, in Philippians. This book of Philippians will blow your mind. He says in verses 21 through 24, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I, am, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. Let me just preface this. He's waiting to see whether he will be executed. And he's saying, if I live, that'll be good because, you know, I'll get to keep preaching the gospel and bringing Christ to people. But if I die, you know, I'll get to be with Christ. I'm kind of, it's sort of a coin toss for me here. Like, I'm kind of happy about living, but executions, that's going to be fine too. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's adopted an eternal perspective so that even when the specter of execution is hanging over his head, he's kind of like, yeah, that'd be fine. I mean, actually, that'd be preferable, you know, because then I'll go be with Christ. He can't do that unless he adopts an eternal perspective. 
He could say, if he, if he had a temporal perspective, he could say, you know what? I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm called to be preaching, but I'm chained to this Roman guard and I'm stuck here in this Roman jail and I'm unhappy and this isn't good and I'm not being fulfilled. He could, if he had a temporal perspective, but he has an eternal perspective and he says, you know, you can't really harm me because I've got an eternal perspective to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I'm good, right? What do you do with somebody like that? You know, threaten them with, with, threaten them with punishment? And he says, yeah, you know, I, you know, when I get punished, the gospel seems to explode everywhere I go. If I die, then I'm going to go be with Christ. If I'm released, then I'm going to go preach. So any way you shake it out, I'm all good. That's what Paul's saying. He's adopting an eternal perspective. Um, in, in, a, in another passage, I won't put it up, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, he's saying even the trial produces joy. Even the trial, if you see it through the lens of who God is, can produce joy in your life. And that leads us to the the last point, which is find the testimony in your trial. Find the testimony in your trial. Everybody still with me? Okay. So I I remember when I was a kid in church, some of you may experience this. The the preacher would say, God is good. Okay, so you guys had that too. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, people would say all the time. And I remember thinking, you know, this is just some kind of like call, you know, old-fashioned call and response thing that people do, right? But what I discovered is that there's a profound theological truth embedded in that little statement. God is good all the time, meaning that in trials and in struggles and in difficulties and in challenges, God is still good. Listen to what Philipp, listen to what Paul says in, in um, verses 12 through 14 of the first chapter of Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has actually happened, what has happened to me, sorry, has actually served to advance the gospel. What's going on with me, the persecution I'm experiencing, is actually doing something good. Um, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See what he's doing? He's finding the testimony in the trial. Not despite the trial, in the trial. He's saying that the chains that I'm bound with are emboldening other brothers and sisters in Christ to preach the gospel. So it's not just God deliver me. It's God do the work that you want to do in the midst of this trial, through this trial, to bring glory to you. He's finding the testimony in the trial. Sometimes God delivers us out of a trial. Sometimes he, he brings his glory to, to be expressed through the trial that we're experiencing. Are you tracking with that? Um, and, and so he says, I rejoice because I've found the testimony. I have found, I've discovered the testimony in the trial. What he's doing is he's looking at his circumstances and saying, what's the testimony here? 
Oh, I see. The testimony is that other people are being emboldened to preach the gospel while I'm in chains. And because of my chains, that's why this turns out to be good, right? And, and he's not being Pollyanna about it. He's not just like, well, you know, let's just try to be, put a cheery face on it. He's saying, no, something powerful and important is happening as a result of this. And we see this all the way through the Bible. We see Joseph, right? You know, the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who was taken to Egypt, who was, who was you know, falsely accused and was put in prison. And yet he had this dream in his heart that God would use him in leadership, that God would use him to, 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 to save his people. And it's in prison that he meets, you know, the, the baker and, and the, and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And they, and, and they bring him out because he, he, he is able to, tra- you know, translate and interpret their dreams. And they bring him out. He meets Pharaoh and he's given the second highest place in all of Egypt. He not only saves all of Egypt, he saves his brother and his brothers and his family. And at the end of the day, when they come to him and they say to him, you know, we are sorry we sold you into slavery. We can't believe that we did that. He says, what you meant for evil, God made for good. I was able to save you and all of this whole and all of Egypt because you sold me into slavery. That's the trial, but I'm telling you the testimony that arises out of that trial. So God is challenging each and every one of us because we cannot experience the joy of the Lord unless and until we find the testimony in our trial. I mean, we just, and that is real. That is real talk. You cannot find joy in your life until you discover what is the testimony, what is God trying to produce either in me or through me as a result of this trying situation. And when you discover that, then the joy abounds because then you learn that God is with you each and every step of the way and by his divine providence, he has put you in these circumstances or allowed you to experience them. Maybe it's just because he wants you to experience a greater sense of humility and reliance upon him. That's what happened to to the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. What they learned is that God was teaching them to rely upon him. So you've got to find the testimony in your trial. I'm just going to read you one last verse and then then we're going to dismiss. So you can come on up and, and play on. When Paul, and, and I don't have the scripture up here, but Paul was writing to the Corinthians and he had gone through a ton of stuff at this point. He had been, he had been beaten, the, the, gotten the 39 lashes five times. He had been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had been uh, uh, taken out, dragged out, and left to die out in the city. He had gone through a ton of stuff. And he writes this. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. I don't want to downplay this. We were under great pressure, he says, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He says, indeed, we felt we had received a death sentence. But, he says, but, all this bad stuff happened. I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to think that it wasn't bad because it was bad. So bad that we despaired of our life and we thought we were dead. But, this happened. All this stuff happened, he says, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. 
God may be, you may be experiencing a trial right now, and the testimony of that trial is, I'm learning to put my trust and faith in God no matter what. Because when you do that, when you give your heart to him completely and turn it over to him completely, your joy begins to rise up out of the, out of the dark morass of suffering and pain and disappointment and, and bitterness. And you start to see what God is making in you and through you, through the trial that you experienced. And you can experience a deep and abiding, not a transient and wispy, but a deep and abiding true sense of the joy of the Lord in your heart. How many of you want to be able to say with confidence, the joy of the Lord is my strength? Yes, amen. Amen. I want that for each and every person in this room. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to explore all of this. And so I want to encourage you, come back next Sunday. Bring a friend that's struggling. Bring a family member that's going through a difficult time. Bring them and and let's explore this together because I think if we capture this, one of the great things about a church that captures this is that when people come in the door, and and I got to be honest with you, this church, you guys, this congregation is already grabbed a hold of this truth in a very deep and powerful way. You can't walk in here without getting hugged and smiled at and handshaken. And, you know, I mean, this is a joyful place. But I want to bring, I want to bring, I want you to bring your friends, bring your family members and let them come and experience what God truly has for them. Because I think a lot of people think of church and they think of rules and restrictions and a hammer coming down and God saying, no, I want to free you from all that nonsense. I want to liberate you to experience my joy. I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. Let's, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your joy. We thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We ask God... That you would just, even today, just fill us with a a taste of your joy. And then help us, Lord, to exercise uh, what you've already planted in us so that we can experience the joy that you've placed in our hearts. That we can focus, God, on what's important and ignore what's not important. Let go of the trivialities of our lives, God. That we can adopt an eternal perspective, God. And really see you and see our, ourselves in light of eternity. In the joy that you have for us. In the, in, the, in the way that you have designed us. And the life that you have granted to us. And God, we pray today that you would help us to dig down through the darkness, through the pain, through the struggle. And find that testimony in our trial. So that every dark and, 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 and difficult time in our life, we can look back and say, but God brought me through that. And God strengthened me by that. And God humbled me by that. And he gave me a greater reliance on him as a result of that. And so I rejoice. And yes, I rejoice. Amen. Father, we thank you for all of this. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.